0: Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We are a family on a journey to become more like Christ, sharing His kingdom by expressing His love. We hope that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. You bow your heads with me just for a moment and close your eyes. Because God is in this place and His Spirit is here with us. And we want to thank you, God, that you have a wonderful work to do this morning, as we've just prayed. But we want to say to you, Holy Spirit, right now in this moment, we open our hearts to you. Lord, what you may say this morning to our hearts may shift us out of our comfort zone, may require something of us that we have been hesitant to step into. But we want to say this morning, Lord, as you speak, we want to obey we open our hearts to the leading of your Spirit today. Thank you for grace and thank you for boldness as you speak to us today. In Jesus' mighty name, the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. You're familiar with the Scripture by now? Arise. Why? For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Isaiah 60 verse 1. You blessed Somerset West folks, you're getting a double dose of this one. It's lovely to have you with us this morning, by the way. We always enjoy having you guys here. Verse 2, For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and Gentiles shall come to your light. Say, "Gentiles." Gentiles. Those who do not know God. Those who do not know God will come to my light. Wow, that's a big statement, isn't it? And kings to the brightness of your rising. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think you are? Doesn't that seem like a bit of an arrogant statement? It does, though, doesn't it? Where do we get off saying things like this? This scripture was put in the Bible to point to Jesus, wasn't it? It was through scriptures like this that the people of Israel, God's covenant people, would identify His Messiah, right? And yet here we are, 2,000 and a bit years later, and we're saying, that's us. It's a little arrogant, don't you think? A little presumptuous? Michael, are you debunking everything we've been preaching about for the past two months? Well, let me read to you something that Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses from verse 20 through to chapter 6, verse 1. He says this, Now then we are ambassadors of Christ, for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the very righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We then, as workers, together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. What is this grace of God? That is the glory of God that has risen upon you and I, in which lies a rich hope. And what is that rich hope? That rich hope is that we would fulfill the same calling that Jesus Christ had. That calling is to accurately represent the Father as He did and reconcile those in our sphere of influence into right relationship with Him. Amen? Amen. You see, so as much as the Scripture was talking about Jesus, Jesus has inferred that same Scripture to you and I today. And that's why He says, Arise, you, arise, arise into what? Wake up into what? This awesome new reality that Jesus purchased for you and I, where we can be in right standing with God, righteous, that's what it means. Sin no longer an issue between us and God. And if that is no longer an issue, then I can receive freely once again from His hand, which is what faith is all about. Receiving salvation, receiving His grace, receiving His love, as well as receiving His power. You see, you and I are called to accurately represent the love, the grace, and the power of God to our generation, to our family, to our friends, to our community. And I want to say we're called to do that even when things don't go quite as we may expect. You see, the Bible is full of promises, every one of them true. And the Bible also says that every promise of God in Jesus is yes and amen. In other words, let it be so. Amen? Amen. How many of you have shared the gospel with somebody in eager anticipation and fervent expectation that they would hear this wonderful good news and turn their hearts to Jesus only to be disappointed? Only to be met with resistance? How many of you once upon a time shared with somebody, oh, God did this wonderful thing for me, and have people laugh in your face? (laughs) Ever happened to you? Then you clearly haven't shared the gospel much. (laughs) Just look at you. They just look at you. They don't believe you. They think you're crazy. They think you're nuts. When we start telling people about the goodness of God and what He's done for us. Amen? Amen? So what do we generally seem to do? When that begins to happen, we tend to withdraw. We tend to shirk back. We tend to say, oh, I don't want to be embarrassed or ridiculed anymore. And so we begin to draw away, and all that rich deposit that God has placed within our hearts lies dormant. The bag of seeds that he has deposited within you to, to, to sow into the hearts and lives of others remains a bag of seeds. That's all we got. Every now and then when we're peckish, we might even chew one or two. We'll preach to ourselves, but we don't want to preach to anybody else anymore. I want to tell you folks, this is not just you. You're not doing something wrong. And this is not abnormal. I want to say to you that Jesus had the same problem. Jesus struggled with exactly the same thing. In fact, if it wasn't for that problem, He wouldn't have gone to the cross. It was this very problem that put Him on the cross. But I believe we're in a season where God is calling us to share in the wonderful graces and gifts and promises that God has given to each one of us. First, among ourselves. To bless one another. And also out into our communities, into our families, and into our places. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. I want to read to you a story uh, that, that is captured there. And then I want to just share some thoughts on that as we wrap our hearts around it. Luke chapter 4 from verse 14. We're going to read all the way through to verse 30. And it says this. Let me give you some context. Jesus, as you know, went to John the Baptist. He was baptized in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. And then the Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days uh, by Satan himself. After 40 days of fasting and temptation, the angels ministered to him. And that's where we pick up the story here. As Jesus returned from the wilderness in power, that's key, as he returned in power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went throughout all the region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So we have this wonderful account where Jesus comes in the power of the Spirit. He's teaching, and people are seeing what he's doing. People are responding to the message, and he's being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood and read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah... And when he had opened the book, he found a place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty all who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is the year of Jubilee, a year in which debts are forgiven, uh, slaves are set free. It's a year of liberation. Verse 20, then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. You see, here we have Jesus reading another portion of scripture from Isaiah as we read this morning and he is attributing that portion of scripture to himself for he goes to sit down in the seat that is reserved for the Messiah and everybody's eyes were fixed on him because he was making an outrageous statement. He was claiming in their midst to be the anointed one. The audacity. He began to say to them, to this... uh, He began to say... Where am I? To them. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to Him and marveled at the gracious words that proceeded from His mouth. What a response. Isn't that amazing? They're sitting... So Jesus continues to teach from the position of the Anointed One. And the people marveled. I want us to think about that for a moment. The people marveled. They were listening to Him and they were going, Wow! Wow! This is incredible! nudging. Can you? Did you hear that? Did you see that? Can you believe we're here? We're in the place where this is all happening. They marvel. And then they said, hang on, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in our country And then he said, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you, truly, many widows in Israel were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up for three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But but to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. So in all those days of famine, the prophet was not sent to God's own people because they would not have received Him. 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Not even a Jew. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and they rose up and they thrust Him out of the city, and they led Him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw Him down over the cliff. This is a preamble for stoning, by the way. That's how it was done. You pushed somebody down off a ledge, off a cliff, and then you would pelt them with stones. That is how stonings were done. They were about to stone him for blasphemy. Verse 13, Then, passing through them, he went his way. Now here's what I'd really like to draw your attention to. The people marveled at the gracious words which Jesus said. And then they reasoned. First they marveled because something inside them was was responding to the words that were being spoken. But then they let their thoughts get in the way. And they began to reason. Is this not the carpenter's son? How could he speak to us this way? Where did he get these things from? Surely they can't be from him. Who does he think he is? How dare he? I believe, as you can sense, we're in a season where God is beginning to move and there's a fresh breath and there's a fresh wind of the Spirit coming over His church. We sense it in our worship. We sense it in our prayer times. God is doing wonderful things. But I want to say to you this morning, we all desire to cooperate with this. We all desire to experience everything that God desires to do in us and among us, don't we? But if we truly do desire that, and we desire to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation and manifestation among us, we need to be willing to humbly open our hearts to those around us through whom He may be wanting to minister. You see, very often when we come to church and we have an environment like this, we don't mind the pastor praying for us or the pastor speaking a word or maybe that guy or that person. But who do you think you are? What are your credentials? Why do you think you can speak into my life? I know some of the things you're struggling with, and you want to come and tell me something that God is saying. (laughs) Who do you think you are? But we also do the inverse. (laughs) I'm not the pastor. I'm not the pastor. Karen, I want you to... Karen, this is the Lord. I want you to go and encourage that person, and I want you to... I'm not the pastor. Speak to their pastor. That's what they're there for. Chantel, I want you to give a word of encouragement to that. I'm not their pastor. We do the same thing. Both instances, we trap and we lock up what God wants to release, to lock, unlock and release something in somebody else's life. Both ways of thinking are a mistake. Both are born and seated in pride. Either we're too proud to be humble and receive from the most gracious or the most humble around us, or we're too proud to make ourselves vulnerable. I was, on, uh, I was looking through Facebook at some point this week. Elevation Worship made this post. It said this, and I was so blessed by it because I knew what I was going to be speaking on this Sunday. Sometimes you can find yourself in a situation where you don't know how. You may be saying, God, I'm not smart enough. God, I'm not trained for this. I've never been this way before. That's not my personality. I'm not that kind of person. Okay, I'm ad-libbing here as well. (laughs) I'm just a rookie. It's okay. You don't have to know every detail. It's okay if you don't know how, because all you have to know is who. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, this is what he says. Chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. It's obvious. I wouldn't be a pastor otherwise. But God has chosen the foolish things. The foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world which are despised, God has chosen that the things which and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh can glory in His presence. You see, it was never about you, and it was never about me in the first place. Amen? This is about God. This is about what God wants to do, what God wants to release, and what God wants to bring His people into. The problem is, we tend to get in the way. (laughs) God is not withholding anything from us. He is not the cork in the bottle. Our thinking is. And all too often, we allow the wrapping to determine the value of the gift inside. It's like judging a book by its cover. I I like, there's a song, you can tell I've got young kids in Mary Poppins Returns. It says, a cover is not the book. So open it up and take a look, for under the cover you'll discover that the king might be a crook. By the way, I've read this book. The king's all good. There's a lot of crooked kings in it, but the king, number one. You see, we tend to look at the outside. We tend to look at people's status, their financial position, their color, their culture, their creed, their position. Generally in the church, it's their position and their title. We're open to receive from certain people, but we're not open to receive just from anybody. My wife and I were in Port Elizabeth a couple of months ago, and during one of the break sessions, a very humble A couple came and they said, we just feel we'd like to pray for you. And within two minutes, my wife and I were both in tears because they began to speak something into and over our lives which was so accurate and so right from God. Literally, a weight dropped off my shoulders. A weight that I was carrying. I didn't even realize I was carrying it that much. Weight of responsibility and things that didn't need to be there fell off. I went to PE for that. The conference was okay, but that, that was the schmizner's. And that's how God wants to use you. Did you hear me? That's how God wants to use you. Doesn't matter your status, doesn't matter your culture, doesn't matter your income, doesn't matter your spiritual position, whether or not you carry a title. Because it's not about you and it's not about me. It is about Him and what He can do if we are just willing to be obedient and take that step of faith. Not to judge those. By the outside. But also, see, that's to go. The opposite is true as well. If we are willing to be humble and allow even people who we may never normally socialize with, or other people around the church who maybe we don't even know very well, to speak into our lives. You see, God spoke into us making this mistake when it became time for the prophet Samuel to appoint the successor to Saul as king. 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 to 7. So it was that when they came, that they looked at Eliab. This is um, Jesse's eldest. This is one of his sons, Eliab. And they said, surely, say surely, surely. say definitely, definitely. say it must, be. it must be, we certainly think this is the anointed of the Lord. Why? Because he was good looking. Because he was strong. Because... But what did the Lord say? The Lord indeed said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical structure because I have rejected him. It's not about whether you accept or reject people. It's about whether God does. Amen? Amen. You see, sometimes we look at people's flaws and we say, no way they can minister. We reject them because we see certain things. But we have no idea what God is speaking over that person's life. None of us is perfect, not even one. Amen? If you only knew... No, we're not going to go there. I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, this disregard that Jesus was struggling with was in the context of people that knew him. We do the same with strangers, we do the same with our loved ones, we do the same with our closest family. My children are at an age now where what their teacher says carries far more value than what their parents do. But Miss So-and-so says. Now, if you're a smart parent, you get hold of Miss So-and-so, tell her what to say and your life is sorted. It's just a little hint there, parents. In a few years' time, they're going to be at an age where their peers' opinions carry more value than their parents. Because they're going to grow up and they're going to want to be independent and they're going to want to... That's, that's, that's how things go. Wives, husbands, do you know that God really wants to speak to you through your spouse? Some of us only encounter the fear of the Lord in our marriages. <laughs> when God begins speaking through our spouses. But yet how often do we disregard what our spouses say because of what they're struggling with, because we know what they're dealing with, because oh, there's all, we assign all kinds of reasons why what they're saying cannot be true. There's the old adage in Matthew 10 that Jesus says, it's the same principle, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever receives these little ones and gives them a cup of cold water... Because He is a true disciple, truly I say, He will by no means lose His reward. What is this really all about? This isn't about grandeur and status and titles. This is about giving value and honor to people, which unlocks what God wants to minister to your life through them. If you do not value and give honor to the vessel, you do not give value and honor to the contents. And so when we deride, when we esteem lowly other people... We esteem lowly what God wants to do through them, and so we do not receive the benefit. That's why Paul says, esteem others better than yourself. Because as you do that, you position yourself in a place of receptivity to whatever God may want to minister to you. You can learn from the lowliest. Some of the people I love and respect most in this world are not those who carry great titles, but it's those men who love their wives with humility, who make sacrifices for their family. Now that's a man I can respect. I don't care how much money he owns. I don't care what kind of car he drives. But a man who stands by his woman, who honors and respects her, that is so precious in the eyes of God. That's the kind of man I honor and respect. Because unless you receive the vessel, you cannot receive the grace it it, it contains. The people received Jesus. They marveled at His words, but then their skepticism robbed them of His direct impact. We know that Jesus' words were full of grace. What is it that He wanted to do in that moment, in that setting, for them right then and there? He wanted to bring good news to the poor. He wanted to heal the brokenhearted. He wanted to liberate the captives and the oppressed. Give recovery of sight to the blind. To declare liberty and freedom... The year of Jubilee, that's what he was there to do, but all of a sudden, all of that got locked up. The very people who he came to bless rejected the container that the blessing was coming in, and therefore they rejected the blessing. Sometimes there are people that God wants to work through in our lives, but our own perceptions bind them. They want to love us, they want to serve us with their gifts, but we won't let them. And God can't release the good that He wants to do through them because of the attitudes that we carry and because of our own perceptions that are shaped and driven by egotism, by our own resentment or bitterness, by unforgiveness or by our pride. The Bible says God resists the proud. So not only will you not receive the grace you need, you will receive resistance, not from the enemy, <laughs> from God. But He gives grace to the humble. What is grace? He, 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 he imparts divine strength, divine ability to do that which is supernatural, which you and I cannot do in our own strength. Folks, that is the value of Holy Communion. That's why once a month we remind ourselves that we together are the body. Jesus' body was broken so that this body can be whole. Jesus' blood was shed so that everything that is between us can be forgiven, so that we can enjoy rich fellowship, so that in humility our hearts can be wide open and we can receive grace from one another. That's why when you read 1 Corinthians 11, which we normally refer to during times of communion, you read it from the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, you guys are in a mess because when you come together, you do not understand what communion is all about. You rich people stick together, you got lots to eat, and you ignore the poor people who have nothing to eat. you finished eating, you're belching from indigestion, and other people haven't even arrived yet. By the time they get there, you're drunk. What a mess. He says, No. Where there is an openness and a humility, God can do wonderful things. Listen. Listen to this verse. Psalm 133. Let me read it to you. It's three verses long, I think. It's short. It says this. Behold. Say behold. Behold. That means you can see how good and pleasant it is where brethren dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Haman descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commands the blessing, life forevermore. He commands it when there is mutual love and harmony, where there is mutual respect and much grace where there is a humility that allows people to speak into our lives and a humility that allows God to lead us in speaking and ministering into the lives of others. And there are very many different ways of doing this. We can minister and we can speak in different ways. And there are very different gifts of the Spirit which manifest themselves in a diversity of ways. But every single one is a partaker. Everyone is a partaker. There are no wallflowers in the kingdom of God. In our gatherings as a, as a spiritual family, there should never be a moment where there's somebody sitting on the sidelines looking in. The togetherness of the body is vital. So, I want to give you, normally you have a three-point servant, I'm going to give you ten points. If you want to, you can try to write them down, but I want to go through them quite quickly. Here are some wrong responses. I'm going to give you five wrong responses to the word I'm sharing with you today. Here are five wrong responses to this message. Number one, adopting an expectation that everyone should now listen to you. (laughs) I have been waiting for you to preach a word like this, Pastor, because I've got some things on my heart to say to some people, and now they're going to have to listen. That's the wrong attitude. Why? Because even God himself doesn't force himself. Godly influence must always be freely received. It can never be demanded. There is always free will here. So a wrong attitude would be, "Ah, now I get to tell it like it. No, humility. Another wrong response to this message is to just openly and freely receive anything and everything that anybody says. (laughs) That's another wrong response. Discernment is still needed. Amen? Discernment is still needed. There are wolves among the sheep. The Bible says so. And some people, though well intentioned, make mistakes. Amen? Discernment is still necessary, and it is right and it is true that certain God ordained relationships will rightly carry a greater level of influence in your life than others. Amen? Because they are godly ordained. They are ordained. For example, Hebrews says that that obey those who rule over you for they watch over your soul and they must give an account to God for you. So they carry a measure of influence which is greater than others. But here's the beautiful thing about having that in your life. There is such a grace when somebody speaks something over your life and your spiritual oversight says, I bear witness to that. For by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing shall be established. So, number one, don't be arrogant and think that you can now speak everything to everybody's life. Be sensitive to the Lord and follow His leading. Number two, don't just accept everything that anybody else says. Test it. Every word needs to be tested. So we need discernment. Number three, be very careful not to assign motive to what God speaks to you through earthly vessels. In other words, don't be cynical. Somebody comes to speak to you, and all of a sudden, you ah, they're just trying to make themselves look important. What are they after? What do they want? Especially, especially in the church, they just want our money. That's why he's saying that. He's just after my money. He's just trying to show off. We become cynical. They're just saying that because, and we assign motive. That is, in essence, what it means to judge somebody. The Bible says you will know a tree. That means discernment by its fruit. You'll be able to discern what kind of person somebody is by the fruit and by how they live their lives. When God says do not judge and you will not be judged, what He's saying is do not assign motive to somebody else. Don't think that you know their heart because you don't. You don't know why they're doing what they're doing and don't assume that you do. That's a big mistake. And when we begin to do that, when the gifts of the Spirit are in operation, the whole thing gets perverted. Dangerous game to play. Number four. We really do need to be very careful to avoid a critical spirit. Sometimes the way people do things is not going to match our expectations. Again, sometimes the cover doesn't, doesn't tickle our, our fancy. We need to be very careful about being critical of people. Because as soon as I adopt a spirit of criticism, because of the way somebody does something, I've cut myself off from what they want to say. I'm critical of the way, the method. Generally, because I've already assigned motive. (laughs) Oh, they're like this. That's why they're doing it. They shouldn't be. Avoid criticism. And number five, here's where humility comes in. We have to resist our internal desire for people to, to have to prove their credentials before we take them seriously. This is exactly what the people did to Jesus. That's why I said, oh, you're going to say of me, whatever we heard you do in Capernaum, come do, that, come do that first. Show us the works and then we'll follow you. Show us the works and then we'll believe you. Give us, show us your credentials. I have a word from God. How, how, who are you? Who do you think you are? What have you done? What, are your, what, what, what fivefold office do you carry? You want to speak the word of God to me? People don't need to prove their credentials when God is in the mix. Amen? Amen. Out of the mouths of babes. If God can speak through burning bushes and donkeys, if we don't praise the rocks, we'll cry out. God can use anybody and everything, anything. And He has chosen, as we've already read, even the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So when we come with an arrogant attitude that we will only listen to those who carry some kind of... We've blocked up. We have stopped and resisted and bound up so much grace and blessing that God wants to impart to our lives. Like I said, we don't accept everything that everybody says, but if our hearts are not open to the least of these, we've got pride and we've got a problem. We must remember that God sets the standards for positions of leadership within the church, responsibility. Their credentials are important. The Bible tells us to test those before hands are laid on them. Yes. They are credentials and they are standards for positions of leadership and responsibility within the church. But the gifts of the Spirit are given to each one regardless. Amen? Say, that means me. No, that wasn't good enough. Only one of us is going to be flowing just now. Say, that means me. And your gift is different to my gift. And some of us are going to flow in what we call natural giftings, like the gift of hospitality, giftings of administration, giftings of leadership, giftings of of generosity. The Bible speaks of these kinds of gifts, which are are God-born and God-given. But even the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and interpretations of tongues, words of prophecy, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healings, the gift of miracles, the gift of faith, supernatural faith. These are spiritual, supernatural gifts that God desires to work through everybody in His church. Amen? And yes, some will have a, a proclivity to, to, to some gifts and not to others. That's the wonderful part of the diversity, and that's why we need each other. The gifts are for everyone, folks, and we will, when we, in our attitudes, will not receive the ministry of everyone, we bind what God wants to do. I hope that you are feeling encouraged this morning by this, and I hope that what I'm sharing with you means that you are in no way overlooked. In this spiritual family... Our expectation is not that a select few will flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and only them can be trusted. There is leadership in the house. There is authority in the house to discern and to exercise authority if needs be. But if we all come to be spectators, folks, nobody will grow. And the house will be robbed of the blessed, wonderful gift that God has placed inside you. Amen? Amen? So what should we do? Number one, listen for and wholeheartedly embrace what you sense the Spirit of God breathing on regardless of who it's coming through. The people marveled at the words that Jesus said. They could have stayed in that heart attitude and received an incredible blessing that day. Allow your heart to marvel at what God does and what God says through other people regardless of the source. Maintain a heart that is wide open. Number two, maintain a spirit of humility towards all. Now when I say this, I want you to understand, I'm not meaning sort of outward humility where we acknowledge people on the outside and we're kind and we're gracious and we're civil towards them, but on the inside our hearts are still bound and therefore no flow can take place either way. God sees your heart. Amen? You can fool men with facades and you can fool men with flattery, but you will not release the blessing of God unless your heart is sincere. God is looking for sincere, real people with genuine humility and genuine faith. Number three, we need to be obedient to God's unctions and His leading without being concerned how we may be perceived or received. You see, in this moment, Jesus was being obedient to the unction of God, despite the fact that it almost got Him stoned. Not everybody is going to receive you well. Although we're talking about being humble and open, not everybody is yet. Some people are still dealing with their stuff. Don't judge them. You maintain an open heart. If they don't receive you, bless them anyway. If they can't receive it, you have given. The Bible says, freely you have received, therefore freely give. Don't look for qualification, but they don't deserve it, God. None of us deserve it. That's the glory of our God. We need to realize that perception management is one of the greatest hindrances to life in the Spirit. When we're trying to manage and control people's perceptions of us, it's a symptom of deep insecurity and it's fooled by pride. If we're worried about what they may think, we've still got stuff to work through. Amen? Amen. Number four, be willing to make mistakes as you learn. And that's the beauty of exercising our gifts within the forum of a spiritual family who love you. Because you can make mistakes without being rejected. I love telling the story because it just, it harkens back to many years ago when Pastor Andreas invited me to be a part of the intercessory prayer meeting, which was going on every Sunday evening at six o'clock here at the church back in the early 2000s, about 2004, 2005. And he said, Michael, bring your guitar and sing us some songs so that we can worship while we pray, you know, kind of like we do here already on a Sunday morning. And uh, I sang two songs and he said, stop, come, come sit here next to me, bring your file. I'll tell you what to sing. I'll tell you when to sing it, because you clearly have no clue. I came in with, I like this song. (laughs) Wrong song, wrong time, messing up the whole flow. I had to learn. But thank God he didn't just kick me out. (laughs) Michael, thanks for coming. Don't come back. (laughs) He took the time to teach me, to impart to me how to catch the Spirit, how to listen for the Spirit, how to flow in worship. And I want to tell you, folks, I still make loads of mistakes. I say to people, we have an incredibly gracious congregation. Because Siobhan gets frustrated with me that I sing the wrong words just about every Sunday. I did it again this morning. don't know if you noticed. I play the wrong chords all the time. But it's not about that. Amen? It's not about that. About being obedient and willing to allow God to do what He wants to do, and sometimes we're going to get it wrong. Now, if we're doing that with pride and we get corrected and we can't handle that, there's other issues we've got to deal with. It means that there's still pride and humility hasn't been formed yet. But if we come with that attitude, we're willing to make mistakes. And finally, number five, be ever ready and ever willing to share God's love and His Word with boldness. Peter and John healed a man... And as a result, they were brought before the courts because there was a big hullabaloo. They put them in prison. That night, there was an angelic jailbreak. They got out of jail. They went to their friends who were all gathered together in a house. And if it was you or if it was me, we would also have been praying, but we would have been praying, God, please don't let them find us. God, please just protect us. God, this, this, these guys are after us. They're going to kill us. Please preserve our lives. God, what's your plan here? What's your strategy? But here's what Peter and John prayed. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, Peter and John were more concerned about glorifying God and what he wanted to do in the situation than they were with their own reputations or their own safety. We need to adopt an attitude of boldness. Our answer to God's unctions needs to be yes before the unction comes. Amen? And as we go, sometimes people will be receptive. Sometimes people will laugh. Sometimes we will see the miraculous. Sometimes there will be resistance. But here's the interesting thing. One day, when you and I stand before Jesus... The words we hope to hear will not be well done, good and successful servant, you healed so many people. The words we are wanting to hear is simply well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do. So let me ask you again this morning. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Who does the Bible say that you are? The Bible says that you are the anointed and the commissioned of the Lord. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus said to His disciples, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, my ambassadors, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. May I tell you who you are this morning? You are an ambassador for the kingdom of God. The Spirit and the presence of God resides within you. The ability to flow in power resides within you. You are a child of God. And if that is true, do you believe that is true? Then that means wherever you go, you can say, as Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And He has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. And He has given me the grace to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He has graced me with the ability to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Say, that's me. That's me. Folks, this may well require some serious... Soul-searching. For that reality and that revelation to truly set in deep down inside our hearts. It's very easy to sit here on a Sunday morning when everyone kind of loves you and accepts you. and Yeah, that's me. It's very different in the workplace on Monday morning, isn't it? But just like with Jesus, God's desire is to send you and to send me in the power of His Spirit to our families, to our churches, to our workplaces, that people likewise may marvel at the grace they see manifest in you and me. That is powerful. And I want to bring that ho- this home now to our spiritual family as I begin to round this out. And I want to ask the ushers if we could please distribute the communion emblems. I think one of the things we are learning on Monday nights, and it's something we all kind of know, but I think we're learning in greater experience, is that God can speak through anyone when we create room for anyone to speak. Did you hear that? God can speak through anyone when we create room for anyone to speak. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.